Well, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, it's the other guy's going on vacation this next week. <laughs> so it's you. It's, it's me, and I'm working 45 hours because I have to do inventory. So on Sunday, oh. I'm 1.30 to midnight. Oh, that's brutal. And like, it's, well, it, it's, yeah, it's a 10-hour shift, and that's that sucks no matter what. It's not too bad, but the fact it's 1.30 to midnight, like, right? couldn't I come in at like 5 or 6? <laughs> but that would require the part-timer who works before me to stay later. Mm. And he's not going to do that. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of hours. Um, so that's actually, I think it's better that we record now. And um, uh, if we get to, if you get to the Godfather this weekend, that then we can get a jump start on that episode. Yeah. As opposed to Absolutely. like, you str- like I said, it's never fun to have to stress watch anything. If you have to like, I have to knock <laughs> this out or else I'm going to fail everyone. That's not fun. You don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> so I think this is for the best. Oh, and I think this episode was a long time coming too. We've mentioned this concept a couple times, so yeah. And like, let's let's find yeah. out exactly when's the last time we've done an episode together that hasn't been about a movie. It was. Mm. Is it Daddy Issues when we first started doing the video? I believe Side? so. Because yeah, I did a couple solo episodes about random topics. You did one. Yeah, Shameless Picture Show episode ten. Getting to know you slash Daddy Issues. Wow. Which I that was so many episodes ago. I know we were still a a budding baby it's like podcast. Twenty episodes ago, and it took us a whole season to do another episode about nothing. This is our Seinfeld <laughs> episode. <laughs> Lucky listeners. Ooh, this one will be weird because I haven't had to do an intro without uh, without having it written before. So we'll see how <laughs> how well I know this. <laughs> uh, sip of coffee for the I'm working excited. man. I bet that sounded really nice in the microphone. (laughs) Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the most interesting DVD and Blu-ray labels around because of their extensive catalog of horror, cult, exploitation, and vintage sexploitation films. Unlike most companies, Vinegar Syndrome is also a restoration company with their own in-house lab where they've done new restorations for companies such as Arrow, Masker Video, and Draft House Films. Check out Vinegar Syndrome today and grab your copy of Dolomite, Sugar Cookies, Jack Frost, or even Psycho Cop Returns. While I'm a little more knowledgeable about the label than my co-host, I can assure you that I love their stuff. Whenever I'm at a convention, their table is one of the first I hit, and much to my wife's chagrin, I spend way too much time going over every single title. I own quite a few. So, once again, head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Seriously, my money is on Christmas Evil. Go buy it. It's John Waters' favorite Christmas movie. Therefore, it should be yours. He does a commentary on it. It's it's kind of great. He does a commentary with the director, which it's even better because he has a completely different like opinion of what the movie's about than the director, which makes it even better. Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. That's for fucking with me, you no-business-born insecure motherfucker! Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value-priced DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. 
They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.millcreekent.com, that's millcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome. I am Michael Byers, and with me is a man that I have not written an intro for today. Nick Richards. <laughs> I realize I have nothing if we don't have a topic, because <laughs> I usually mine whatever we are talking about to find what I'm going to say about you, and today I had nothing. It's, they're really our crutch to make sure that yeah. we're not awful. It's our quality <laughs> control. Uh, even even last week, when I had to do the episode with uh, with Nico, it was funny because... Uh, it, the flow is completely different. Do like doing an actual episode with someone else, and sure. Like, uh, t- not to throw him under the bus, I could tell he's not listened to the show. <laughs> At least not in a long time. <laughs> so like when I got to the point where he had to say his name, I just had to tell him say your name. And well, that that was our first like six seven yep, yep. episodes it, too. It took me a while. We have trained each other, and then the one time you did it really threw me. So you know, <laughs> um, I don't know what we're gonna call this episode yet, listeners, but if you are indeed listening to this, unless you are such a blind follower of the show that you just hit play whenever you see our beautiful mug show up on iTunes. Um, you probably realize that this show is not about anything. Uh, I'd say we should call it our Seinfeld episode, but then people would expect us to talk about Seinfeld. Right. Uh, yeah, that's the problem with a media-based podcast. Uh, so th- this, is our, um, this is our episode about... Uh, what? Guilty Pleasures. Guilty Pleasures, yeah. Oh, I guess I could have done something for intro. Could have done something like he—he's—he's he's the non-guilty pleasure or something. Oh, oh. that could be kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> could be taken. The well, wrong something way. that I liked about this topic was um, that from the very beginning, we kind of, in part, set up this podcast concept around the idea that we shouldn't have guilty pleasures. That you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting to watch the things that you want to watch. Yeah. So, so that was running through my head the whole time that I was making my list here. Is like, well, you know what? I, I shouldn't be ashamed of that. Yeah. And actually, I even felt weird, too, when I suggested because, like, I feel like guilty pleasure is an easy thing to suggest because even if you don't necessarily 
believe in guilty pleasures. Everyone knows what a guilty pleasure is. So, you know, uh, but no, I, I'm kind of in the, in the same way where um, there's actually a podcast I listen to called uh, Shockwaves, and they've got a whole thing on their show that they don't believe in guilty pleasures either. You know, their whole thing is, you know, there's no such thing as so good it's bad. It's 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 so good it's awesome. <laughs> and that's kind of like the where I've been where like um and, you know, ever since I left film school and moved on to bigger and better things, I have started like realizing that I don't have to feel ashamed for what I'm I'm interested in. That's why I've got that's why I love the Super Mario Brothers so much. And if we <laughs> right. if we didn't have an episode planned later on for it, that would have definitely been on this list. So I think you're right. We we have talked about in the past, like our I guess not our 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 dis I'm trying to think of the rest way to say it. As you said, we don't really like the term guilty pleasure. So I, I feel like, I wonder if we should come up with a, a new term. Well, there's, I've comprised my list. Um, like, each one has a different reason why I was able to classify it as guilty pleasures. And I I found it interesting how different those reasons were. There's the kitty movie that I couldn't, you know, I liked a lot of, children's animated films uh back when we were growing up they were geared more to they were written by adults for adults um that kids appreciated yeah. but many kids things like even today i can justify and say well this is really good for this this and this reason and the one that i put on my list today is one that it's hard for me to say well adults should be able to like this too but i still like it um where as yeah. there's another one that's that I, I never considered a guilty pleasure. I think it fits well within the nerd wheelhouse, but I've talked to other nerds that like that same kind of stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, I just didn't get into that. So that was a guilty pleasure for a different reason. And then there's the goes against stereotype where I picked a, like, romantic comedy that um, as, a, as a man, I, you know, kind of just falls outside of, of that. So, so each one had a different reason for being there. Yeah, and then I've also found, too, that, like, for example, there was a good period of time in my life where I always considered Power Rangers to be a guilty pleasure of mine. But then I've realized that I know a shit ton of people that still love Power Rangers. And I was like, can I really consider it a guilty pleasure when the fan base of people in my age group are right. still there? Like, people, are, kids are always going to love Power Rangers because they're Power Rangers, but, like... The fact that people my age still adored as much as they do is like I don't think that can any longer count as a guilty yeah. pleasure. I, I, Maybe I I'm think wrong. what you're you're kind of dancing around there, or or maybe the point that you haven't realized you're making yet is that um, defining something as a guilty pleasure depends so much on the experience of of the person's viewing habits and and their experience. Were they ever made fun of for liking something even if when you find out later in your adult life that there's this huge power rangers fan base if you were catching shit for it when you were younger then you still had to choose to like it despite it being something that was looked down on in your circle i have found even in my adult life uh, that being made fun of for something 
that you love or like is not exclusive to being a child. Sure. Yeah. And I think internally that is the reason, like you said before, that we started this show to reclaim that because I still find it all the time. Like I, I try my best not to be negative towards things, things that I either don't like or don't understand. I, I unless we are talking about it for a show, even when we are talking about it for a show, I try not to be negative for negative sake, and that's why you always challenge. We challenge each other to find something yeah. good about it. But I think for the most part, we we there's not there hasn't been anything that we've we've watched that we've hated, um, because we are above that. We don't really, we try not to <laughs> hate, um, but. You know, it happens where there's something that just doesn't gravitate with you. And I and I tr- I tend to, you know, unless I got like a small circle of friends that I can I can talk to about it. I try not to. If I can't say anything nice, I don't right. say anything at all. Thumper? Yes, Mama. What did your father tell you this morning? If you can't say something nice, don't. Say nothing at all. Is my is my motto for it? But like uh, just the other day, I uh, I'm not he's gonna remain <laughs> nameless, but you know, uh, someone I know posted a, an article about Super Mario Brothers and had a very clickbaity title, like you know, uh, something along the lines with "Every day on set was a, was, was another pain out," you know, was 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 just as painful as the last, or some <laughs> shit like that. And it was, you know, I didn't even read the article because it just, to me, it just felt like it was going to be trying to be an eloquent way of saying, look how bad this movie is. And isn't this movie terrible? And I'm thinking, like, I legitimately love that movie. And why should I feel like I'm being attacked? Because I, because as a, you know, a grown ass man, I enjoy right. this movie. And like, while it's not necessarily like getting beat up on the playground, like, yeah, you're still getting picked on for liking movies that other right. people don't. And you know, I don't. I don't think that's uh, a cool way to. to and I'm not gonna take it anymore. <laughs> no. And then I pull up my big hairy gun. And... <laughs> All right. So, well, we become a become a, uh, a vigilante for cinema. We have each picked uh, at least five um, at least, TV shows yeah. or films that we have personally classified as being. Um, a guilty, a guilty pleasure. pleasure. Um, and I figure real quick. I have yeah. to ask. Oh, continue. I have to ask before we get started. Is there any? Is there any selections on your list that you feel like might, for lack of a better term, cause some outrage, some controversy? Because there's one on mine that I have not. Uh, other than my wife Amanda, I've not met a single person. Who likes Ooh. this movie the way I do? No, I don't. I I think it's 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 one of those movies that's classically picked on almost to the extent of where it makes okay. you rise. Um, no, I think mine are are the majority of them are ones that a lot of people either haven't heard of or fell under the radar. Um, there there's one that. Um, I think most people will have heard of, and I think a lot of people would hear me describe it as a guilty pleasure, and they would say, well, I don't know, no, that was a good movie. Like, why, you know, but but that's how it felt to me. Um, so I don't think I'll, I'll be starting any riots with my list. <laughs> the, the one film that I really wanted to put on this list but couldn't, because we just did an episode about it, 
of course, was your The Hunter from the Future. <laughs> if any film be- belongs on my guilty pleasures list, it's your The Hunter from the Future. <laughs> your The Hunter from the Future. It's almost like doing an ep- It's almost like, for lack of a term, your got the criterion <laughs> treatment. Of for of podcasting because like people are talking about your now you can go to a Walmart and buy your the hunter from the future like who would have thought this goofy little movie that you loved on that you had a VHS copy of would go on right. to do something yeah. and like I follow a lot of different Blu-ray and DVD collecting pages and there was a good week's time there. Where everyone would show show like their epic haul or whatever, and there was almost always a copy of <laughs> your in everyone's haul. And even before I saw it, I'm like, Fuck yeah, your. And while I don't think we are the reason the show got uh, the the movie um, no. came back on everyone's radar, we were you were championing yes. it very yep. early on. And I remember I was close to renting it from Amazon before that Blu Blu Ray. Okay. Came so. I'm trying to think if there's anything that we've covered in the past that would be on my shameless. Let me take a quick look at all of our episodes because I can't <laughs> remember um, everything that we have done. Because um, one thing I have to say I like about what we've done with this show is we've done a great job of um, having very uh, mixed episodes. Like we, we, The fact that we went from Gone with the Wind to yeah. Moonraker... Yeah, and that's I. Yeah, I don't want to pigeonhole it into like any particular genre or time period. Or uh, I like that it bounces around. I think it's in the spirit of what we're doing. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's anything that would be on my guilty pleasure list that we've talked about yet. But whenever we get to that Mario Brothers, <laughs> that'll episode, be it. That's my episode. That's my episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with All number right. five. Who 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 wants to start this thing? Um, you want first season or last season? you have yours numbered, let's okay. start with you. Let's, let's go with you because you actually have yours numbered and you have, you put some thought into yours. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I've got five of them. Let's we'll figure it out. So number five, ten things I hate about you. So what do you got for me? A little insight to a very complicated girl. Excuse me, uh, just one question before we start. Should you be drinking alcohol when you don't have a liver? What? Nothing. Oh, I love that, that. And that's the one that I thought would get that reaction where a lot of people would say, you know, no, it's a good movie with a lot of good dialogue. Um, uh, solid story, good acting. But it's that I think that's the 35-year-old male saying that he really enjoys 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, I could see getting some side looks. Um, yeah, and plus, I, best to remember, that movie had a really, not, had a really like great cast, um, too. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Heath Ledger. Yep. Um, Two Batman alumni. And yeah, Batman that's movie. when when look at that. Um, when he Joseph Gordon Levitt came in to that uh, universe, that was like what me and all of my nerd friends were talking about. Was oh, ten things I hate about you. <laughs> that would have been great if they if if Heath Ledger was still around. They would have done that movie together. Right. Like, wow, look at that lineage. <laughs> um, but. Um, uh, the Secret Life of Alex Mack. I can't think of her actual name. Oh, I oh I know. Which, Mil- Secret Mil- Life Creek uh, has the entire Secret Life of Alex Mack on DVD. 
That is what yeah, I will be uh, getting. Yeah, uh, Best Buy selling it right now. Oh, uh, is it Julia no, Stiles? Uh, no, but that was the other. She's oh, wait, the no, star. No, no, no. Julia Stiles. I, if you don't consider it an ensemble um, cast, she's really the protagonist. Yeah, hold on. Um, I, I know I can picture her face, and I can picture her girl. Well, you know what's funny? I never uh, associated that with being the same girl. Like, and I, which is weird because like I had a huge crush on the uh, right? Alex Mack when I was her a and kid. Clarissa. Um, Clarissa explains it all. <laughs> yes. Uh, Larissa Olenek. Okay. Olenek. She was also in the Babysitters oh, nice. Club. But no, uh, Secret Life of Alex Mack is actually at Best Buy right now, and it's taking all of my power not to to pick it up. <laughs> well, it's hard to pick her up because she's a puddle of liquid. Puddle goo. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so Julia Stiles is amazing in it. Um, and it's one of those films that's that's endlessly quotable. There, there are so many lines yeah. in it that I still to this day use in my lexicon that to, that I've used so much, I forget that it's even a quote from my movie. Yeah. And that's kind of how Heather's is. With and me. whenever any of my friends get into the Shakespeare discussion with me about how I think he's overrated, I still think he's great. I just think he's overrated. Um, they inevitably. Yeah. I, I remember your, your episode. They inevitably right? quote from 10 things I hate about you where um, Julia Stiles' character's friend is talking about Shakespeare, or somebody mentioned Shakespeare to her, and she goes, we're involved. <laughs> Meaning her and Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. You know what, I, and this is going to be a bold statement, um, but you know how, like, the 80s get the, uh, get, like, the nod for being, like, for, for a lot of people being the peak time for these teen comedies. I'm going to go one further and say for me, the nineties were like, and it's not even because that's when I grew up because I wasn't watching these movies. Then I think the nineties all in all had a better assortment yeah. of teen comedies. Well, some of that might be that I think when people talk about the eighties, they're actually talking mm-hmm. about like 1986 to 1995. Like that chunk of time there. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, yeah, John Hughes did some great shit, but I think people forget there's there's other movies besides what yeah. John Hughes was making. Like, I just did a general Google search for 19, for 90s teen comedies, and here's what all pops up. And I feel like you might, you'll agree with me. Number one is Clueless. Yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You, uh, American Pie, Can't Hardly oh, Wait, Drive Me Crazy, wait. Never Been Kissed. <laughs> Yeah, Dazed and Confused, Jawbreaker, yeah. Empire Records, Election, Pleasantville, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's <laughs> Dead, But I'm a Cheerleader. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Idle Dead, hands. I'm pretty sure had David Duchovny in it. Which is... <laughs> Random fact. Uh, and Sino Man, Good Burger. Like, it was it was a great time. And like, and, well, <coughs> Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. Actually, that would be my guilty pleasure. Um... Is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie? Yeah, Detroit Rock City. Like, there, there's so much that came out in this time, and like, I love the '80s, but there was. I got this feeling when I when I watched Vice Versa, the Milk Creek release, <laughs> which will, this will actually be the episode we have to talk about that because I've been meaning to talk about that. Um, as much as I love '80s comedies, there's sometimes where like 
80s logic takes over <laughs> a little too much and uh things are too over the over the top yeah for my for my personal oh i think all of those that that list that you just read off you can say that surge of teen comedies in the late 90s and early 2000s owes its existence to the teen films of the 80s oh yeah. completely but no, I, I, I remember discovering 10 Things I Hate About You uh, on HBO at one point. And it's, you know, I, I was I was I was younger at the time. So, like, I, uh, you know, HBO always put um, like a genre next to the title. And I was like, romantic comedy. I'm like, right. I don't want to watch yeah. romantic comedy. Um, but I, I don't know what to, what told me to, to put it on. And I did. And I remember loving it, like just thinking this is really well well made and all, it's like even before I, I knew much about filmmaking like i was yeah. i like how much character they gave all of the minor incidental characters like every single tiny character um had had motivation and passion and backstory and they were all really funny um yeah. And I think the last thing I have to say about 10 Things I Hate About You is both my wife and I are madly in love with Julia Stiles. What's <laughs> well, not to love, man? Right? Those eyebrows. <laughs> they're, they're like... And she, those cargo pants? Her face looks... Her face looks like she was like made out of uh, marble. <laughs> She's just got like a perfect face. That sounds really weird coming... Like, just she got a perfect <laughs> face. All right, well, on that creepy note. But, she, but yeah, but she, she does. does. She does yeah. have a perfect face. What is anyways. your number um, five? Well, like I said, I didn't number mine, but we're going to go with my number five selection, which is actually two oh. picks. I'm cheating. It's simultaneously the Brady Bunch and the Ooh. Brady Bunch movie. Okay, that's fair. They're two. They're so different, but they they have to exist because of each yeah, other. Yeah. And I love them both for very similar and very different reasons. Like let's let's start with like I don't know where to begin. Like if it's like chicken or the egg. Like which one comes first? I guess let me start with the actual Brady Bunch. The, I absolutely adore the Brady Bunch. That is like uh, chicken soup for the soul for me. Yeah. If I'm ever just like, I don't know what to watch or I'm kind of bummed out, I don't know what to do, and I don't feel like fishing up my Boy Meets World DVDs. <gasps> yeah. Only reason I didn't put Boy Meets World on the list is because I feel like that show has never not had a fa- Like, Brady like, Brady Bunch is one of those things, like, it's kind of like the 60s Batman where there was a period of time where people were afraid to admit that they yeah. were the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Like, um... Where, like, and all of the Brady Bunch, for the most part, is on Hulu right now. Uh, so, like, I just love that I can put on the Brady Bunch. And it's, I'm 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 sent back to a time, like, I know all these characters. I know their flaws. I know what they like. I know what they don't like. It's, like, it's like what, what The Simpsons does for me. Sure. Where, after a while, I, I actually mentioned this to my uh, No Homers podcast co-host, Nico, not on the air last week, but just, just asking. I was like, do you ever... If you've been away from a character for too long, for, I was referencing The Simpsons, do you ever feel like you find yourself missing those characters? And he told me no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm the weird one. Okay. Yeah. But, no, me either. I've, I've never felt that. <laughs> but like say, the way I'll, I'll miss Homer Simpson sometimes, if I, it's been too long since I've watched something with him in it, it's the same way I'll miss Mike Brady or the rest of the Brady kids. Sure. It's 
You almost like this, the, what except I think Jan does very well, huh? Except for Jan, because nobody misses Jan. But we are all Jan. <laughs> Jan was written to be all of us. Nick, come on! I, I was. How do you Marcia. not see that? You were not the Marsha. I was were, not the Marsha. You were you you were Jan, just like I was, if not Jan, Cindy. And now I'm Alice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I was Bobby. Oh, nice. I was I was the annoying little one that no one quite liked. Here, here's here's one for you. Have you seen mm-hmm. the Brady Bunch Christmas movie that I believe Once. came out in like the early nineties? Once. Okay. We I uh that one's also up on streaming services. A very Brady Christmas. And yeah. we watched it this last year. And it was incredible. <laughs> it, in in what way? Like incredible, like this is fantastic, or incredible as in like, oof. Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, okay. it, it opens up on the uh, on the two parents right in their in their eighties working out outfits, <clears throat> their jogging suits on their on their side by side treadmills, talking about how much oh my they God, miss the kids. Oven. Robert Reed's mustache is fantastic. Wait, no, that's not Robert. Holy shit. No, that is Robert Reed. But I was actually talking about uh, 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 Christopher Knight. His mustache is amazing. <laughs> A lot of mustache in that movie. Yeah. No, I'm looking at this right now, and it's like, how have I not... Like, I know I've seen this well, at least once, because, you know, there's a point. Like, you know, it, in the spirit of we don't care about spoilers, like, Mike almost dies in in a building collapse on Christmas. Damn, that's really dark. It's, it gets for... heavy. <laughs> and that, that's one thing I have to say. Like, I, I like so much about the Brady Bunch is it would deal with heavy shit sometimes, not often, uh, but they present it in a way that's very easy to swallow. And there's times where like, I will be watching the show now and like, the Brady kids are like, we don't have enough bathrooms. <laughs> and um, Carol's like, well, Mike, I guess we just sh- we just should buy a, a bigger house. I'm thinking, oh, you can just go buy another house. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> with a living maid. <laughs> huh. And it's like, okay, some of this stuff does not really hold up. Poor, but, poor rich you know, kids. There, I know. But there, there's like some very classic episodes that will stick with me. And I, I reference all the time. People look at me like I'm stupid. Like, for example, the Davy Jones episode. Mm. Like, it's that's one of my favorite episodes of TV, period. <laughs> or the fact, or the any of the episodes where the Brady kids travel somewhere. Yeah. Like the one where they go to Hawaii and meet Vincent Price. You know, he's not Vincent Price, but Vincent Price is playing. <laughs> it's Vincent Price. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's things like that are just ingrained in my DNA. And I remember, like say like the episode where they go to the Grand Canyon it was always like a two or three episode arc I remember asking my mom I was like hey can I stay up late tonight and watch this <laughs> and she's probably like you know other kids at this time were watching South Park and were like we're sneaking the Simpsons and everything I'm like can I stay up and watch the Brady Bunch <laughs> and mom's like I-, I guess what year is it <laughs> I watched a lot of Cheers <laughs> Cheers is one I didn't get when I was a kid mainly because I couldn't get past the the beginning episode Okay. Or not the beginning of the episode, like the, the the intro to the show, because the intro was so boring. I found it so charming. Like you see, you see, it's it's charming now <laughs> when I watch it, but when I was a kid, I'm like, look at all these old pictures. Ugh. 
Ugh. Give me the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Kids singing, man. Um, and then the Brady Bunch movie it, I love because it is the perfect mixture of parody and loving tribute. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. Because it's, it's, it's the movie. It's making fun of the Brady Bunch hardcore, but in a way that's extremely loving. Yeah. And the idea that the Brady Bunch are. Like Cloris Leachman at a today's, roast. I'm sorry. What? Like Cloris Leachman at a roast. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I love the idea that they brought, you know, the, their tagline, they're back to save America from the 90s. And they brought <laughs> the most proverbial 70, 60s and 70s family to the 90s. <laughs> and. What can what's not to love? Right, like you've seen the movie, right? Uh, I think I've seen pieces. I have not seen it in its entirety in the way that it should be seen, but I'm, I'm pretty sure well, I've seen I'm bits and play pieces. A, I hope this comes through because I'm going to play a song for you through the microphone. Now. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll actually play it in the episode. Is it Sunshine uh, Day? As well, mm, maybe. Okay, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't remember what movie it is. It's it's Davy Jones from the Brady Bunch movie, and Marsha gets Davy Jones to play their prom. Oh. This is the '90s. No one gives a fuck who Davy Jones is, and he goes up there and he starts singing a song. And there's a '90s grunge band behind him. Like, what the fuck do we do? So you know what they do? They '90s grungeify the monkeys. Jones, you've got some like they all they look like they're the members from from like um Rage Against the Machine up there. <laughs> like it's it's a hardcore grunge band, and they're like, okay, let's play. Let's I, I don't roll with that. With <laughs> yeah. And uh if you get a chance to, I really recommend just watch it from the beginning all right. and you'll you'll be in heaven. Cool. And that goes for anyone out there. Like it, it's a st- it's a standing invitation. If anyone <laughs> who wants to watch the Brady Bunch movie, come on over. <laughs> Anyways, that's my number five is the Brady Bunch slash the Brady Bunch movie. Nice. Which brings us to my number four. Um, Quasi-Christmas movie. It's definitely one that's seasonal. Um, and has a similar comedy vibe to 10 Things I Hate About You. 
Um, this movie contains a moment that is probably the. Is it love? Actually, it is not. Um, the okay. <laughs> the moment that I have laughed hardest in a film ever. Just friends. Oh my god, I love Just Friends. That is one of the first movies that me and Amanda bonded over. Oh. When we stopped being Just Friends. (laughs) Nice. Got out of the friend zone. Well, (laughs) it was never really in the friend zone, but still. Another great cast for a kind of under-the-radar movie. Um, Yeah. Anna Faris is fantastic in it. I'll pick you up at noon. I'm busy! I'm busy, stupid dick! That sounds awesome. I'll see you then. Bye. She's great in everything. Like, she could just do no wrong for me, honestly. But the moment that made me laugh so hard, the and continued to, it was like one of those jokes that didn't, or bits that didn't get old as I watched it. And usually I'm not a physical comedy guy, but when... You're not, you're not into the Three Stooges and shit? You think it's serious, Dr. Curley? Yes, indeed, to say the least, if not less. Hmm. The perambulation of the pedal extremity is impeded by the insertion of a foreign botanical offshoot. Now, gentlemen, we must proceed with caution. This Bedford dog is worth a fortune. So it is. The instruments. The instruments. 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 Not particularly, no. Um. Ah. Okay. After after the hockey game, when they strap him onto the stretcher and his mouth is bleeding and they pack him in and they carry him up this big snow hill, mm-hmm. and they accidentally let him go, and he just let his whole body strapped onto this gurney, like slides down the hill and then does a 180 degree flip so he falls on his face and slides across the <laughs> yeah. ice. Uh, it, no, no. That was I did some ugly laughing that day. The funny thing is, uh, the first time I saw the movie, my mom uh, told me about it, and like she's like, she, I just heard her laughing, like <laughs> ugly laughing from the other room. I'm gonna start using that now. She's just ugly laughing from the other room, and I like only other time I ever heard her laughing like this is the first time she saw the first Ice Age. Okay. And uh, and I was like, Mom, what 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 are you watching? She's like, I'm watching this movie, Just Friends. It's like, oh, what's it about? She's like, um, she get, this is the ter- most this is the worst description she ever gave me. It stars this one guy. <laughs> she couldn't she couldn't even tell me who the guy was. She stars this one guy, and he keeps beating the shit out of his brother. <laughs> You'll always be like, bad to me. Like what? So uh, we, we had just gotten DVR at this time. I was like, start this shit over. We're gonna watch. Well, the beginning and and the mom is amazing in it. Who uh, was an airplane? She was like yeah. the female lead in airplane, but in this she's like this midwestern nice kind of mom. Come on, we're gonna go make snow angels. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> really oh funny. God, I, um, it's one that it based on the concept, it shouldn't be as good as it is. Like you describe the concept, you're like, ooh, gross. But every, yeah, and like, it's so funny that it transcends its concept. Yeah, because the concept, you know, like, well, granted, when the movie was made, it wasn't as taboo of a subject. But, like, you know, the friend zone thing is now, you know, 
not really a thing. Yeah, really. Like it was never really a thing. But you know, people come more be, have become more aware that the friend zone is is bullshit because you know no one owes you an obligation to date you all that yeah. stuff. And so, like, while this movie I don't think would get made now, or if it was, it would become under it would probably be under fire. But no, like I, I feel like this movie does a great job at. Um, it doesn't become too overly woe is me. I never got the girl because the lead character is a piece of shit right. through most of the film. And you're like, well, no wonder she didn't. She doesn't want to date you. You're a terrible fucking person. The over reliance and I feel on like the that's, fat suit is like, you know, oh, yep. You didn't you didn't tell what era that film came out with just by the use of the fat suit. Oh, yes. And I hate to admit how fucking well the fat suit works for me. <laughs> like anytime he's on the fat suit and he's got that higher pitched voice it's like oh fantastic. my god <laughs> <laughs> and then i um like you can also tell what era of comedy is based on uh name choices like the fact that like his his uh fuck what is it his uh his rival is named dinkleman because <laughs> it dusty dinkleman. dusty dinkleman <laughs> Dusty Dinkleman, like on, Dusty. it's. Oh, and I don't know. I, I I agree with you. This this is like this is one of those movies that if, it, if whenever it came on TV, I could put it on and just be completely happy with yeah. my choice. Guilty pleasure, and yeah, and I think that's another thing that comes down. That's important for guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure is a movie that you can start anywhere in the movie, and be able to watch it and enjoy it. You know, like there's some movies where like if I have if I didn't watch it from the beginning, like oh I just can't watch this yeah. movie. You know? Um, uh, but like same thing with the Brady Bunch movie and the Brady Bunch show, I can watch it from anywhere and be perfectly comfortable, just enjoying it to the rest of its ride. Nice. All right. Well, what is your number four? Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight: Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, what's guilty about that? Um, the fact that it's generally hated. I love Jason Taste Manhattan. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling you would. Um, I celebrate his entire collection. <laughs> I, well, granted, I don't think there's a single Friday the 13th movie I hate. But, like, it well, just type that into my little computer. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever, like, I see a list of people, like, you know, pick your... Put the Friday the 13th movies in your ideal order, and, like, the three that are always at the bottom are Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason X, and uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, Jason Goes and to Hell. All of those are so good. Yeah. Jason like, X Jason got goes... a little out there, but I still love it. I love the concept. I've, ta- I've talked a little bit to the screenwriter over Facebook, and he's told me that, like, when he wrote the script, it was Alien with Jason. Yeah. But they had to unfortunately make Alien with Jason on a sci-fi channel budget. So, right. you know, I think he did whatever... He did the best he could with that fucking movie. And then Jason Goes to Hell is just great because, yeah, Jason's barely in the film, but it's so fucking high concept. Yeah. And if you watch the unrated version, it's gory. It's all hell. Really? Yeah. But no, I love Jason Takes Manhattan because it is just a perfect party movie. And it's a party movie that you can watch on your own and still have fun yeah. with. Like it's there's there there is a really gross uh 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 wet Jason throughout <laughs> the entire film, which I don't know how he sneaks up on anyone because he should just be like, squ- like squish, just squish 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 the entire film. Uh, like and that could have been a great gag. 
Just if someone's walking around, they just heard a squishing sound behind them, and they turn around, and there's nothing there. <laughs> but he doesn't have to squish Nick because he teleports. Right. One of the great, two of the greatest gags in the movie is at one point guys climbing up, uh, fucking, uh, you know, up the ship, whatever those things are called, the poles. And he's climbing up to get away from Jason. Like, that's a great idea. Like, whatever. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, Jason walks up, looks up, and then just cut to Jason's arm pulling the guy down. <laughs> or at one point, like, one of the, when they're actually in uh, Manhattan, you know, Toronto, <laughs> um, they, uh, like, the teacher, the shitty teacher, he backs up into Jason and sees him, you know, and runs, and he runs towards an abandoned warehouse great decision <laughs> runs for the abandoned warehouse cut to jason already upstairs throwing him out the top window jason teleports take that in this movie. laws of physics yeah like i don't know i just love everything about it like the the one scene they actually shot in new york which was times square and jason kicks the shit out of that boom box <laughs> I, it, it will instantly make me laugh every time because then the kids are like, oh, what the hell, man? And he just <laughs> comes, cool. fl- flips up his mask, freaks them all out, puts his mask down and walks away. It's like, he does, he's like, they're not even worth killing. <laughs> when did Jason get so dis- uh, discriminant? <laughs> right? There's, there's another great moment too when he first gets to Manhattan and he looks up and sees a bill. He's breathing heavy. He's breathing heavy. He sees a billboard and just stops like... <gasps> And just holds his breath, and he sees, like, a hockey mask on a billboard for, like, hockey gear. <laughs> it's me. No, like, wait, no. That's, I thought like, I recognized these are all these, these are all decisions that you cannot tell me were not intentional. Oh, yeah. Because no, totally. they, these are all so fucking good. <laughs> well, that'll actually be and a people, great transition, because my number three is my one horror film of the list. Um, well, my number two might be considered a horror film. Remind me to get back to that, Dad. Um, okay. <laughs> based on a video game, which Ooh, is all... Is it Resident Evil? It is not, but you're not far oh, off. Because that would be one of mine. Silent Hill. I, uh, Silent Hill is, is... I don't know. I think it's a well-made movie. It was. I, I, Some of the action was fair, bad. I don't know how well it holds up against a video game because I never finished the video game because it freaked me right. out. But I remember, like, if if you were to watch Resident Evil back to back with Silent Hill, the movies, Silent Hill is the better made of the two. Really, I haven't seen Resident yeah. Evil. It's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> ah, you yeah, for bringing it back. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I like Silent Hill. Like people give it shit all the time, and I was like, what's what's not yeah. to like about it? Silent Hill Two, it. It's a movie. <laughs> I didn't say that about it. <laughs> but Silent Hill 1, like, it was generally creepy. Yeah. And it had such a, like, weirdly positive, like, like the, an- the antagonist, like, ends up with this heart-wrenching story that you, like, start feeling for. And then yeah. there's that, the, just the weirdness at the end, the... the husband's parallel story of him trying to track them down after they left um, oh and since we're not worried about spoilers that ending yeah. when, they, when they both get home at the same time but they're not like yeah rip my heart out yep. man just rip it out and throw it to the ground it pyramid headed that feeling nope that didn't work I, 
No. Nope. Uh, but no, there's so many great moments in that, too. Like, you know, I've got some friends who are hardcore into the Silent Hill mythos, and like, they're like, oh, I thought their use of Pyramid Head in the movie was really good. It's like, that doesn't work because that's not what Pyramid Head stands for, and that's not what his representation means. I'm like, okay. Uh, stop scratching your neck beard and just enjoy the movie for what it is. And maybe that's the reason I can enjoy it, because I never finished the game. Sure. But I thought, you know, it had great atmosphere. Uh, some of the CGI doesn't hold up, but that's the time period more so than yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, acting was fine. It was it was hit or miss. Oh, the, <laughs> some were good, some were less than good. <laughs> the, the atmosphere and the look of the film... And some of the scares, like this, the nurse scene, oh, was yeah, fucking yeah. frightening. I know. Just the sound design, which is so important uh-huh. in horror films, like the nail back. And like they did a great job of like trickling things in slowly. It wasn't like welcome to Silent Hill. <laughs> like it was things slowly happening. The ash, and then the use the of the siren. Yeah. yeah, like fuck, dude. I thought that was a great film. It's- well, Everyone else is wrong. We're the right ones that's, here. That's that is correct. <laughs> shame on all of you. Yeah, shame on everyone. So, what do you got for number three? <sighs> I'm gonna go with my controversial pick. Oh. And I feel like I need I need to discuss it because with the popularity of Marvel and popularity Ooh. of superhero films, Ooh. it needs to be said. Y'all need to lay off Daredevil, man. They call you the man without fear. That's true. Why are you afraid to show your face? Mm. The Ben Affleck Daredevil. Okay. Like, it, it's 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 not a popular choice. And there's so many people like, that was the worst superhero film ever made. And I'm like, well, I've seen worse. <laughs> um, and then two... Hold on, let me. I just want to. Pull, I, I just want to pull up the. I like having the page in front of me yeah. in case I need to like scour for information. Now, I have not it's, seen Daredevil, uh, so I am not going to be. I, I don't have a whole lot of insight. That's fair, but what I thought the film did, does really well is everyone. You know, I don't know why everyone has a thing against Ben Affleck. Like, I don't think he's that bad. Like, there's sometimes I think he's darn right good. Um, <coughs> I thought he did a great. He played a great Daredevil, and the reason I think so is be and part of this is because of the of of the film and the creators themselves. Uh, Mark Stephen Johnson, who directed it, he his whole thing was like he he hated when he'd watch a superhero movie or a movie about some sort of vigilante who'd go out there, you know, pick a fight, beat the shit out of people, who get the shit beat out of him, and he'd come back and like he. I think he's kind of talking about the Batman films and not a single scratch bruise or cut would be on yeah. him you know early on in the film like when we first see um, matt murdoch as an adult and uh you know actually out as daredevil doing his thing he you know he's beating the shit out of some some guys and honestly gets the shit beat out of him as well and he comes back and he takes off his daredevil suit and he's battered he's bruised he weighs in a hyper hyperbolic chamber type thing like just it's just a water but i think it's to help center himself and to help heal his his wounds and it's the first time in a superhero film at least to my knowledge that you saw someone taking damage you saw not only the physical damage but the psychological damage this does to someone right yeah and you really get the idea that he is a loner who's just kind of out doing his own thing until he meets Electra. And I will admit, the worst part of the film is 
the love story with Electra, and there's a really cringy fight scene on a um, uh, uh, playground <laughs> when they're not in their outfits or anything, but they're like doing some like some of the best wire work you've seen outside of a Japanese movie, <laughs> and um, and then people also like will give um, um, Colin Farrell shit as being very over the top as a villain, but like I don't know, like. I thought this movie did a lot of things well, and while it did have some missteps in it, the current slate of Marvel films wouldn't exist without it. And honestly, like, not all the, just because Marvel Studios made it nowadays does not mean it's automatically good. There's a lot of shitty Marvel movies. But, like I said, I don't know, I just, I, part of it, part of it could be nostalgia, but. I don't know. I rewatched this movie, I want to say, a year ago. And, yeah, it's not as fucking awesome as I remember being as a kid. But it's like, oh, it's, I still really enjoy this movie. Yeah. And if I had to... Wow, this wouldn't necessarily uh, rise to the top of my recommendations for people when it comes to superhero movies. If you're looking to to see a good superhero movie, Nick, without having to be completely just beat over the head of all the lore of the Marvel films, see the first Captain America film. Okay. Nice. Uh, that's one I would really recommend to you. All right. But so yeah, that's my controversial pick. Like I said, to this day, people still give me shit for liking this movie. But all right, fuck off. That brings us to my number two, and the other one that you may be able to legitimately call a horror film, and that is Terror Bears Movie Two: A New Generation. This is not the first time we've talked about this it movie. It absolutely is not. And I've been waiting for this episode <laughs> to actually talk about this movie. Talk about this movie, Nick, because I've not seen it. <laughs> the villains in 80s children's cartoons are horrifying. <laughs> so, yes, the there's the main boy and girl at summer camp, right? And then this kid that gets like seduced by this demon thing who then, like, takes up lodging at one of the summer camp's, like, lodges, and it has this big chandelier, and he starts capturing souls and keeping them in the crystals of the chandelier. So as the Care Bears start, like, actually trying to, to save the day, they're getting captured and stuck in the crystals of the chandelier, and his eyes glow red, and he can turn into this big mist monster. It is terrifying <laughs> sounds fantastic though um here's just you know alone me saying that i like a care bears movie is going to explain you know it's self-explanatory as to why it's a guilty pleasure however i have two critical responses that i'd like to read as well um you've co- you came prepared for this this one um Okay, I guess one is a synopsis. Unfortunately, not many critics cared for the television standard limited animation, bland songs, and blatant product placement in this film. Uh, Strictly for toddlers over age six, tries too hard to cram new characters into the plotline. The characters are obviously introduced to create toy lines. This is the weakest of the Care Bear movies, avoid at all costs. Then John Stanley in Revenge of the Creature Features 1988 Film Guide says, This inferior sequel is rather charmless. 
This is strictly Saturday morning at the cartoons, a blatant commercial for Care Bear toys and related products. The bulbs are out as far as ideas are concerned. <laughs> I love that these people are doing like legit like critical analysis of a fucking Care Bear <laughs> right. movie. Avoid at all costs. Fuck you. I, I would... don't know you, but fuck you. And while yes, I I take their criticism that it is but all cartoons in this era were were pitches. Right? This this was what what nineteen eighty what? Eighty eight, I think. Nineteen eighty eight? Like, fuck it, look at Transformers and He Man. Yeah. They were toys made into cartoons to sell said toys. Sorry, eighty six. Canadian American production. And Canada is the worst of all I'm kidding. <laughs> Those Canadians. Um, but the, their, their villain was excellent. <laughs> and that's what I think. I remember, I, I remember you played me. the Care Bears theme song for me on one of the earlier episodes. <laughs> Amazing. So that yeah. is my number two guilty. You pleasure. know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take it upon myself to, uh, eventually just watch that movie and we can just. We can talk about it in tandem with, with one of our I would episodes. love to do that. <laughs> I should also uh, rewatch it and see if it still holds up. Well, you know what? Part of a guilty pleasure is not caring whether or not it holds up. There you go. All right. My next one is a TV show. Okay. Um, it, let, me see, let me find when it debuted. It debuted in 1987. The original 21 Jump Street. Ooh. This, uh, I remember Depp? when I first, dis- yes, I don't remember when I first discovered the show. I, I want to say it was like, it actually might have been one of the Mill Creek collections, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, I think Mill Creek put this out at one point. Um, uh, yeah, Mill Creek put it out. Um, and uh, I, I just bought it on a whim from Target at one point, you know, and it, I don't know what, what told me I had to buy that. Like, I didn't see Johnny Depp's name or anything. I just I just saw, like, the spray-painted 21 Jump Street logo, and I was like, fuck yeah. Um, and it's it's a pretty standard police crime drama, but all done with ki- people who are supposed to be kids. They're undercover at the high school. <laughs> undercover at the high school, trying to bust drug rings and people stripping cars but it also dealt with like there's there's plot lines that cover like and it's not as cheesy as it sounds yeah there's cheesy moments but like they deal with issues about like hate crimes and alcoholism homophobia aids i think there's one episode where it had to do with um like a pornography ring that they were breaking up wow. and like one of the first episodes like had a you know a, ki- a, a rich kid who is uh, hooked on drugs and o- owes some drug dealers a lot of money and they break into his house during breakfast with machine guns. Wow. Like this show goes there. <laughs> and I, I, I this, the, the theme song is fantastic too. This is another comfort show. Like I can, 
this this is not a show where I can just throw on any random episode. Like I need to like start from the beginning and just watch until I get bored. But it's it's great. I, I had a taped off of TV copy of the Never Ending Story that kept putting in Twenty One Jump Street promos uh, on the commercial breaks. If that's not the most '80s thing that I can imagine, right? <laughs> it's uh, VHS taped off a television of Never Ending Story with promos of Twenty One Jump Street, like and amazing Fuzzy Folgers commercials. Yeah, like, damn, that's <laughs> that is the '80s right there. But no, like all things considered, like it's one of Johnny Depp's first roles, and like you can definitely see, you can see that he's money. Yeah. You can see that, like he's gonna go off to do big things, and it's also kind of interesting too because like the lead Nightmare character. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, this was after Nightmare on Elm oh, Street. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, like his character is a young Republican, which amuses the shit out of me. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. He's obs- like obs- um um. I and Johnny Depp kept trying to add weird things into his character. Like he was, he wanted his character to be obsessed with peanut butter. Uh, and they kept telling him no. So when he did a. Ca- he did a cameo in the 21 Jump Street movie, playing his old character undercover, and he was obsessed with peanut butter because <laughs> he wanted to add that joke in the show, You're and right. they kept telling him no. Dom DeLuise's son Peter's in, in the show. <laughs> Holly Robinson, who was kind of a, a was yeah. a bit of a name in the 80s, oh, yeah. Holly Robinson. I feel like she's done a lot of stuff. And, um, I don't know. It's it's goofy. It's harmless fun, but there's a bit of a, an edge to it because it, it's dealing with real shit. And I thought it was actually kind of interesting. Some people would roll their eyes at it. A lot of the episodes ended with a public service announcement oh. from from the cast and crew, pretty much saying, you know, like if you know someone who's dealing with this shit, right? Call this number. Oh, like, that's awesome. There are people out there. So, you know, hell yeah. Twenty one Jump Street, Nick. All right, my number one, uh, my only TV show on the list, and it's one that I've certainly talked about on the show before, Red Dwarf. It's, it's one that a lot of nerds haven't. Um, it, it's British and didn't get nearly as much play in the States. Uh, fun fact, they actually made a pilot for an American reboot of it uh, that never got off the ground. Um, oh. Which I'm okay with. I don't think it would have worked with American humor as, as well. Um, but I absolutely love it. Those that have seen it and heard of it, I often get like a, oh, yeah, it's okay. It is so campy. It is so campy. And I find it so charming. Well, we've passed the test. Remember, you can let us out. I can't let you out. Why not? Because the king of the potato people won't let me. <laughs> I've begged him. I've got down on my knees and wept. He wants to keep you here. 
keep you here for ten years. Could we see him? See who? The king. Do you have a magic carpet? Yeah. A little three-seater. So let me get this straight. You want to fly on a magic carpet to see the king of the potato people? And plead with him for your freedom. And you're telling me you're completely sane? I think that warrants two hours of W-O-O. -O. What's W-O-O? -O? Red twins. Without oxygen. I, I, I've heard of the show a lot because like I always remember Red Dwarf being mentioned usually in the same breath as Spaced. Okay. Which I've seen, I, I liked Spaced quite a bit, but you know, I, I, funny thing, oddly enough, uh, the reason I never got around to it, because I saw the title Red Dwarf and I thought it was going to be a science show Okay. about like planets. Right. Like, eh. Cosmos. Yeah, I was like, eh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> not realizing that, you know, that's not what, at all what it is. Um... <laughs> it's hard to try for a while it was available on netflix um or hulu i don't remember which um but they pulled it when bbc i think was creating their own uh streaming service now Silly it's on BBC. dave which is a what the hell is dave i believe it's a british like network slash streaming service yeah you can you can also get it there um I, i've got an app called um just watch okay and you can you can search things if you you can apparently rent it or you know through BritBox whatever BritBox is. Um, so each season typically has like six episodes. They're real short seasons, and they've been going a really long time because whenever interest kind of wanes, they stop making it for a while, and then the fans get rabid and they're like, "All right, fine, we'll make another season." And then they made two more seasons, and then fan base wanes again. And but they just came out with a new season last year. Really? Yes, they're still making Red Dwarf, and they're all old and crotchety, but they're still playing the same that's characters. That's actually that's kind of great that they can still keep getting funding for it because um, it's not on my list, but a guilty pleasure of mine, I think I've mentioned on previous shows, is uh, a Canadian show called Todd and the Book of Pure Evil, yeah. and. They're struggling to even get, like you know they were they had two seasons they were canceled then they wanted to make a movie and couldn't get funding for it so now they're making an animated movie because it costs way less and it's like here this show's got a, a big fan base but they can't get shit made but Red Dwarf can be like ah let's make another season <laughs> that's kind of funny that they're doing they're doing well enough that they can just keep coming back whenever they feel like it's like like Monty Python they'll just never go away yeah yeah very much so. All right. But what is the show about? What is the show about? Sell me um, on this. I don't know anything about this show, Nick, other than it's a comedy and you love it. The first episode sets up the entire series where uh, they're on a mining ship uh, way out in space. Um, and the the protagonist is Dave Lister, who is like the he, – he's a, a slob. He's barely – you know, he – the man is not out there because he's career oriented. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, he's like the lowest ranked person on this entire mining ship. Damn. He gets in trouble for ha bringing a kitten on board. <laughs> okay. And his punishment is to spend the rest of the trip in stasis. Um, so he wakes up from stasis and everyone on the ship is gone. Oh no! Uh, apparently, there was like 
uh, technical issue and the entire ship vaporized and it's like three quabillion years in the future or something where like humans don't exist anymore really um yeah not that they'd know that because they're out in space but it so he is it's just him on this mining ship but then he realizes that his obnoxious roommate is still around as a hologram Okay. His cat evolved into, like, through generations into, like, a bipedal human-like cat. That's great. So the first season is just the three of them and their misadventures on the ship. And then uh, in the second season, I believe, they discovered Crichton, which was an android that they picked up. I've taken care of three skeletons that he thought were So it's a sci-fi show. It's a sci-fi show that never really deals with sci-fi stuff. That's pretty great. I feel like if I were to if I were to do a sci-fi show, that's what I would do cuz I don't know shit about science, but I like spaceships and shit and shit. It's more like watching an episode of The Odd Couple but on a big empty spaceship. See, that's if I were to write a uh, a sci-fi movie, that's what it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Like, I actually I'm legitimately going to look into that. I'm going to see what Brit Box is and see if I can watch nice. it. All right, that brings us to your number one. And to my number one, like I said, I made a list of a couple, and I don't didn't know which one to go with. So, <laughs> this is actually a harder decision than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's just go out with some fun. Um, my number one guilty pleasure in a movie that I can say I watch more than probably anything else, like, or, like, you know, I'll put it on for a little while, you know, what I mean, um, is Austin Powers 2, The nice. Spy You Shagged Me. Nice. It's not, they're not great films, but that, it, it does everything for me. It's a spoof of James Bond. It's really out there. It's got a nice musical number with um, Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah, that's cool. right. And it's just, like, no matter how many times I've seen that movie, it never gets old to me. Nice. No, that's a good one. I, I feel really good about that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Because like, it's it's the definition of guilty pleasure. Yeah. And while I don't know if we'll ever get another Austin Powers movie in our lifetime, <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily want one now. Right. Because they had such a good couple, you know, a good period of those three movies all came out in a good amount of time with each other. I don't know if I... It'd be like when they made the Dumb and Dumber sequel. Right. It's not anything... I don't think I actually want that. Like, I, I, I've got three perfect films, perfect with a quotation marks. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Right. Like, I, I, I think um, um, Heather Graham is a fantastic uh, second uh, to Austin Powers in that movie. Powers girl. And she, yeah, and uh, she's smoking in that movie, too. Um <laughs> Doctor Evil has got some of his best moments, especially since he gets Mini Me in that film, and <laughs> with the time with the time travel elements, it's I love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it other than like because I was going back and forth. Is like I had a couple other picks on my list. I had that. I had the '90s movie Heavyweights. Okay, I haven't seen that one. That is a uh, f- uh, uh, a kids go to fat camp movie. Nice. it's also got one it's got one of the it's got a really early performance by ben stiller kind of playing an extension of who he later plays in dodgeball okay 
like you know this there's this fat camp with these kids and they all go to school they all go to fat camp and you know they think it's gonna be them losing weight but it's really just like you guys love it here just be happy and be fat (laughs) and then the camp gets sold out and bought by ben stiller who wants to turn it into a into like a training camp to like show that kids can lose weight and everything And it's great because um, Jerry Stiller uh, oh, and yeah. uh, Ben Stiller's real mom, they played the previous camp owners. <laughs> and there's a great scene where they're like, um, they're like, they're like they're telling the kids they have to sell the camp. Like they tell them once the camp year has already began, which seems really stupid. Um, and like Jerry Stiller's crying. He's like, let me give you a piece of advice, kids. Never let anyone else sign your checks. And it, you know it's a it's a Disney movie from like the '90s that it just hits a sweet spot. And Ben Stiller is fucking insane, and later on plays his own dad in the movie, which is pretty great. Oh, nice! I, I don't know. It's like I said that was going to be my first pick, but something kept telling me I need to go with Austin Powers. Yeah. Oh, we, we got them um, both in. Yeah, we got them both in. <laughs> so I I have technically had uh like eight picks because I threw your end. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You had six. Anything else you want to talk about, Nick, before I talk about some uh, sponsorship stuff? I I would love to, but I actually have to uh, duck out for work stuff. What's up? Uh, Michael back again. Uh, adding this part at the end of the episode because Nick had to go before uh, I got a chance to talk about some cool films that our sponsor sent us. So I'm going to talk about them for a second. Heck, for all you know, Nick is still here and I tied him up and he's got a gag on his mouth. You'll never know. Um, I'm going to do... I've got two from... Uh, I've got two from Mill Creek. Two from Vinegar Syndrome, so I'm gonna do you know one from each, and you know go like that. So let me first start off with uh, one of the newest releases from Vinegar Syndrome. Welcome home, Brother Charles. Uh, I'm gonna read to you the back. It, uh, it's actually Welcome Home, Brother Charles, plus the bonus feature MMA, which are both directed by uh, this director. Uh, I'm, I'm probably butchering his name. Uh, Jama Fanaka. Alright. Before directing the legendary Penitentiary Trilogy, Jama Fanaka helmed these two offbeat genre films, which helped catapult him to recognition as one of the most important black filmmakers working in 70s independent cinema. In Fanaka's debut feature, Welcome Home, Brother Charles, a young black man is sent to prison after being brutalized by a corrupt racist cop. Upon release, he takes deadly revenge against the cops, lawyers, and thugs who got him busted, using a most unusual weapon. As much a parody of exploitation films as is his proud piece of genre cinema, Brother Charles combines horror and exploitation tropes with stirring social subtext, resulting in a drive-in movie unlike any other. And then also on the disc, Fanaka's second feature, MMA, Emma May, not the, the fighting sport, MMA, tells the story of a naive young woman who moves from the deep south to Watts. Initially finding herself at odds with her surroundings, Emma eventually gains acceptance from a local drug dealer. Sorry, gains acceptance from a local drug addict and dealer. 
But when he's arrested and jailed, she plans a daring bank robbery to bail him out, featuring a cast of mostly non-professionals and shot entirely on location in Watts. This uniquely subversive, subversive action film is an insider's view of black, working-class L.A. neighborhoods. Vinegar Syndrome brings these two landmark films to Blu-ray, newly restored from the original camera negatives. I, 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 I'm, I'm a big, I'm a sucker for low-budget exploitation films. I'm a sucker for low-budget films from the '70s, from this time period. They mean a lot to me um, because I think it's, it shows what you can do with some creativity and a little bit of oomph. And I love the fact that Vinegar Syndrome has kind of become a a respite for black exploitation films. They did the entire Dolomite series. They're doing Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Um, there's a lot of things I liked about Welcome Home, Brother Charles. I thought it was very charming. I know char- charming is a, a weird word for a film like this, but uh, charming in the in in its acting and its production, the way it was shot. It looked really nice. It wasn't my favorite of Vinegar Syndrome's releases. And once, once again, it's nothing on them. They're, they're restoring these films. Um... I thought the last 20 or 30, maybe even 35 minutes were fantastic. Uh, but for ha- it having such a long, uh, such a short runtime, which I believe is only like an hour 20, it felt very long. That being said, those who are are obsessive when it comes to black exploitation films and want to know more about. You know the films that, besides you know, Human Tornado and Dolomite, and wanna want and Black Shampoo, and wanna know more about some of the uh, the smaller films, should definitely check this out. Um, there's some great features on here that I haven't gotten a chance to finish watching yet. One I'm really excited for that I still haven't watched: The History of L.A. Rebellion and Jamaka Fanaka. Jama Fanaka. It's an appreciation by uh, Jean Christopher Horak, director of the UCLA Film and Television Archive. I love fucking love when smaller films like this um gets high art treatment that's the wrong way to word it um collegiate study i love when films like this get appreciation um i it first happened uh not to me like not towards me but i first experienced it firsthand when i was in school uh, studying at UWM, studying film, and I had a, a, a teacher, Kelly Kirshner, who treated the films of Herschel Gordon Lewis and Troma on a collegiate level and didn't poo-poo them, and she thought they, they had something to say and they are important and they are worthwhile. I love that, and I wish there was more of that going around. So, Welcome Home, Brother Charles, and while not personally for me, I do have a feeling it's, it's one I'm going to probably revisit and it might grow on me more and i still have to watch mma um that one sounds like it's really up my alley so uh, i'll report back when i've actually watched mma all right then my first pick for mill creek <laughs> this is a film i loved a lot uh me and nick uh kind of were making fun of uh, not making fun of, that's the wrong word, we were joking around about a couple episodes ago, because I described it to him as being the male Freaky Friday, and uh, we wish it would have been called something like Manic Monday or Wacky Wednesday, but it's the movie Vice Versa, uh, a comedy about acting your age. It stars Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage, and Swoozie Kurtz, and Roger Ebert says it's a treasure trove of a movie. 
Uh, the back of it says, Marshall Seymour, played by Judge Reinhold of Beverly Hills Cop fame and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, is an executive pre- vice president for one of Chicago's most prestigious department stores. He's also divorced, stressed out workaholic with little time for his 11-year-old son, Charlie, played by Fred Savage, best known for The Princess Pride and TV's The Wonder Years. When the two find themselves under the influence of an ill-gotten mystical skull, they become much closer, mostly due to the fact that their minds have switched bodies. Now a preteen boy is up against backstabbing co-workers, politically dangerous board meetings, and a blossoming love affair. While a grown man is forced to contend with grade school, bullies, homework, and a surprising scarcity of Evian water in the high school cafeteria. Um, this film had every chance to be extremely stupid, but it wasn't. It, it, I, me and Amanda put it on because we wanted something to enjoy, something just mindless that we could have fun with, and we ended up loving this movie and wondering why this is not in the pantheon of a lot of the the big 80s comedies like this could easily stand up along with the rest of them and i actually thought it was a better film than freaky friday maybe i don't know um i just i just really enjoyed it there are a couple weird little things i enjoyed there's definitely a couple of very slight horror elements in it which were cool the whole idea about this this evil skull that they found uh they don't really go into detail in the back about that but um Judge Reinhold's character goes to an Asian country. I don't remember if it was Thailand or China. I think it's Thailand um, to find some cool, you know, Asian-specific items to bring to back to the United States, and that it could the sell in the department store, make a whole thing. And he somehow got stuck with this really sinister-looking skull that he finds out later on. You know, when him and his son or angry at each other makes them switch bodies and the switching of the bodies is cool because it's not just like some overlay effects and like you know their brains are moving back and forth like you actually see judge reinhold grow out like out of the child and like rip is it's very werewolf in its transformation and it's super cool and it's i've also realized this movie's the santa claus um you know the tim allen film but reversed because while Judge Reinhold is in the Santa Claus, in this, Judge Reinhold is the workaholic father who doesn't have time for his son. And it takes some mystical element for it to come in and make him and his son closer. Which, you know, awesome. And I just love seeing Judge Reinhold act like a kid. He, it, it's, it's almost as if his character from Fast Times at Ridgemont High is doing Spicoli. It's fantastic. Um, I honestly recommend this film to everyone. The disc is very bare bones, but that's kind of Milk Creek's prerogative. Not that that's a bad thing, uh, because they do really nice transfers. I appreciate that they put the original posters on the cover, which I'm torn on because um, it's a case-by-case basis. There's sometimes I fucking love when someone will do their own posters for a release, like Criterion will or Scream Factory. But then I also love that there are classic films with the original posters. So I, there's no rhyme or reason for when I like it and when I don't. I get, it's, But in this case, I, I really appreciated this uh, really cool poster. So it's, well, the, you know, the poster's pretty generic, but it's it's still cool to see. I, I loved it. Um, Fred Savage, I, I unintentionally went on a weird little Fred Savage binge because I watched this and Wizard and I've been wanting to watch Princess Bride and I never realized that, oh yeah, I guess they all are Fred Savage because I grew up more of a Ben Savage guy. I grew up in the, the time of, of Boy Meets World, you know, so it happens. 
Um, anyway, moving on to the next selection. It's from Mill Creek's Hammer Films double feature. I've only gotten a chance to watch one of these, but I really want to watch the second one. It's the double feature of Never Take Candy from a Stranger and Scream of Fear, a.k.a. I think it's sometimes known as Taste of Fear. Well, I watched Scream of Fear. Um, I was in the mood for a very classic-style horror film. Uh, on the back of the disc, it, it, it describes the Hammer Collection and describes the film. So, uh, it says, The sweet taste of fear. For more than four decades, Hammer Films' unique blend of horror, science fiction, thrills, and comedy dominated countless drive-ins and movie theaters. Enjoy this impeccable collection from the darkest corners of the Hammer... Sorry, excuse me, let me do that again. Enjoy this impeccable collection from the darkest corners of the Hammer imagination. So, Scream for Fear, starring Susan, Stra St Susan Strasberg and Ronald Lewis and Todd and Christopher Lee. A young wheelchair-bound woman returns to her father's estate to find he's away on business, but she keeps seeing his dead body in various places. Her stepmother and other house guests employ a plan to drive her insane and take her inheritance. Um, I'm really kind of mixed about this film. If, you know, I, I, I gotta get out the way. It looks fantastic. I love the way this film is shot. It's really beautiful, stark, black and white photography. An amazing transfer. Um, but in the end, it was kind of a chamber piece. I only say kind of because, you know, chamber piece is generally one or two locations and they don't usually leave. You know, this is a house, this is a film that, you know, they got a big house and they got the big house to play in. They rarely ever leave said house, so it's kind of a chamber piece. Uh, it's a really cool idea that the lead character's got some past trauma and her being in the wheelchair, uh, seeing her father for the first time in God knows how long. Uh, and there's some really great twists at the end, like some really great twists. And um, you can see why Christopher Lee said that this is one of the best scripts he's ever worked on with a hammer film i just thought it was a little slow um and i don't know if it was just the mindset i was in the morning i watched this but i just couldn't focus on it very well and it's it's a film that i want to go back to and rewatch because i know there's a couple friends of mine who really like it actually if you go on letterboxd um a, a buddy of mine named matthew balls he's a, he's a filmmaking friend of mine he really liked it he gave it four stars um I'm still on the fence about how I feel about it, but I guess I liked it enough that I, I, I might want to go back to it. However, the film Never Take Candy from a Stranger really fascinates me. That I, Like I said, not watched this one yet, but let me read to you what it's about. A serious and horrifying chiller about a small town terrorized by an elderly child molester luring young girls into his mansion with sweets. But no official will stop the perverse man because of his powerful family until it's too late like that just seems really dark um you know it was made around the same time it's a it's a relatively short film they're both 82 minutes i love that the op I, I started the film the opening title card says this takes place in canada that was kind of funny but the the subject matter is so dark and disturbing I'm really curious where it's going to go. Um, I love that Mill Creek is putting out these Hammer films because, you know, everyone knows about Dracula, Frankenstein, the Hammer uh, ripoffs. And I say that lovingly because I like them. The Hammer ripoffs that they did. But, you know, there's so many Hammer films that went under the radar that no one knew existed. I'm glad that someone's putting them out. So, kudos to you. Um, 
yeah, I'll report back when I've watched the other one, but I love that they're doing it. I wish I would have liked Scream of Fear a little bit more, but those of you who really like Hammer films and who like these uh, parlor films, for lack of a better term, might really enjoy this. It's really well written. It's beautifully shot, just not 100% for me. All right, and then we've got, for my last selection from Vinegar Syndrome, um, I'll, I'll read to you the quote first. From the Austin Student Press, an unpredictable human being in the act of living, Dennis Hopper in The American Dreamer, a film by Lauren Schiller and L.M. Kit Carson. The back of the film says, The wild and unexpected success of Easy Riser, Easy Riser, the... The wild and unexpected success of Easy Rider ushered in what is now seen as one of the most significant turning points in film history, making pathological, uh, making pathologically rebellious Dennis Hopper an unlikely, unlike, making pathologically rebellious Dennis Hopper an unlikely king of Hollywood for a day. Hopper's follow-up work, The Last Movie, a deeply personal but ultimately disastrous meditation on the meaning of cinema, found Hopper drifting further and further into foolishness. Captured by co-directors Lawrence Schiller and L.M. Kit Carson, The American Dreamer is a multifaceted document of the life and mind of one of the 20th century's great cinematic voices at the peak of his artistic and commercial success, shifting between being an insightful document of a complex artist in the midst of his creative process and a self-reflective exploration and explosion of verte filmmaking tropes. The American Dreamer is a mesmerizing journey into the private world of one of Hollywood's most hypnotic directors slash stars. Fortuitously timed, fantastically made, and virtually unseen, The American Dreamer is the great 70s film documentary you always wished existed. Etika Pictures, in partnership with Walker Arts Center in Minneapolis, brings this forgotten masterpiece to home video for the very first time in a new director-approved 2K restoration painstakingly reconstructed from four 16mm prints housed in the Walker Arts Center South Rubin slash Benson Moving Image Collection. Major support to preserve, digitize, and present this film and the entire Rubin Benson Moving Image Collection is generously provided by the Benson Foundation. So technically this is an etiquette film production, but Vinegar Syndrome did the, did the transferring and worked hard on it and you put it in it still you know comes across like a vinegar syndrome um release this is a strange film because i think it's an amazing film but if someone were to be like hey michael what do you like so much about the american dreamer it's not so easy to put my finger on um when i was in when I was working on documentaries when I was in film school, um, I had a teacher named Ryan who, among me, he taught me a lot of things, not just about documentary filmmaking, but of filmmaking in general, uh, theories on editing. He was a, a big part of of my of my film school years, and I only had him for a, a year, and so that shows how much he he meant to me and I doubt he's ever going to hear this because I don't really want it to be a thing where I'm you know telling someone how much they meant to me because that feels awkward to be like hey go listen to this so you can see here what I really think about you Ryan um he told me a lot of great things but one thing that he told me that he really appreciated in documentaries and I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you a little bit is honesty and honesty 
in a, in the way that Dennis Hopper, I'm sure if you were to go back and watch what he was like, if he was still alive, if he was still with us, would go back and watch this. I'm sure uh, he'd see himself in a different light now than he did then. But at the time, he believed everything he said um, for good or bad, for good or bad. He's not always the most liked person in the world on this documentary. But he's all, you could also tell that he's not a bad guy. He's an artist who's under under pressure. You made this movie with your friends out of you know out of love for wanting to make a movie. Just go out there, get really fucked up on drugs, ride some motorcycles, and hell, have a good time. And it came together in the edit, and fuck yeah, it worked out really well. And then the studios are like, hell yeah, dude, do it again. But we're gonna give you some money, and now you have us breathing down your neck, and it's stressful. And well, I'm I don't think I'll ever be on the level that Dennis Hopper is. I get it, man. I get what it's like to have that stress. Making a film is stressful enough. It's amazing, it's fantastic. It's one of the greatest feelings on the fucking planet, but it's stressful. And I get that I get that um under that pressure and everyone watching you You may not always come across as a good person. Um, you might say some things you regret. And, you know, he's young in this film. He's He cares about, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, and, and art, man. And he talks a lot about his photography. He talks a lot about... His, what he likes in a woman, what what he likes in the painting sayings in his wall. And, you know, it's a story about excess, but it's a story about just wanting something more. I don't know. It's I'm sure someone else would watch this film and be like, Mark, you're a dumbass. This movie sucks. And I'd be like, you know what? Maybe you're right. But I watched it and I was floored by it. And... Um, it's not for everyone. There's not a clear narrative in this film. It's all over the place. It's, but it's fascinating. And I'm also a sucker for things, you know, low, for low budget 16 millimeter, uh, amateur film production. So it had this strange beauty and its roughness, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think this film is amazing and it's a film that I think should be shown at film schools all over you know from from every art house film school to even like the big guys like ucla i feel like there's something that every filmmaker and artist and human being can learn from this film whether or not it's something as simple as i don't want to be this guy to you know what this is a stressful life that we've gotten ourselves into so um fuck i ended that on a somber note but um, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I love uh, reviewing these Vinegar Syndrome and Milk Creek releases for you guys. And our sponsors have been super fucking cool to us. They, um, they've really taken a chance on us. We're the little podcast that could. Vinegar Syndrome, uh, I've been mates with those guys for a little bit now. And I ha- well, I haven't gotten to know them super well because I don't get to see them very often. Uh, the little bit I did talk to them when I first met them, they seemed really stand-up and earnest guys. And to an extent, I could see why they'd put out a film like in The American Dreamer because in a lot of ways, what they're trying to do is what Dennis Hopper's trying to do. They're trying to do something that they believe in while also trying to put out cool stuff that could, you know, make them a couple bucks. 
um and mill creek has been a company that's been around for a very long time they've been they've been ingrained in my collecting soul before i even realized who they were um you know, some of my earliest discs I ever got were from Mill Creek. So our sponsors have been really cool to this show and have given me a chance to talk about some really cool things. So let's do them a service, guys, and let's go onto their websites and buy some cool shit. You know, Mill Creek, they're they're releasing Sweet Sweetback's badass song. If you're an exploit if you're exploitation or black exploitation dude or girl, dude or gal, dude or dudette, however you want to say it, um, this movie's for you. Go check it out. Uh, they just released Prey, which I really liked. And my co-host, uh, Nico Aldrich, from last week, he went out and bought it on their most recent sale. Mill Creek has got... If there's not something you want to see on Mill Creek's website, that's on you. Mill Creek has so much cool stuff. Everything from westerns, horror films, exploitation sci-fi kids movies if you can't find something you like on mill creek's website there's something wrong with you but nick uh nick richards highly recommends the secret world of alex mack and i'll say go buy the legend of billy jean and if you do so send our sponsors an email guys let them know that um you listen to our show and you found them through us you know that way they know that, you know, they're getting some, they're, our show's getting some attention, they're getting some love, everyone's happy, so do me a favor, do that for me, and um, we'll get back to the show, I don't know how Nick's gonna cut this, but uh, thanks for listening, guys. As always, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show, we are on iTunes, SoundCloud, I've confirmed we are on Google Play, Yay. and hopefully soon, uh, uh, everyone's Google Homes will be able to play the show. Ooh. I talked to their customer support the other day, and might have gotten a new uh, a new fan because of that. Awesome. I don't know, did you, did you see, I sent that to you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where uh, Brian Romo is now, he's going to start watching the show, and I even asked him what his favorite movies are, <laughs> and uh, he told me. Uh, one is called Crazy Little Thing Called Love. It's a Thai movie, and the movie Shakespeare and Love. Oh, nice. So. Sweet. If you're listening, Brian, I told you I would talk about this on the show. <laughs> oh, and we are on Stitcher Radio as well. So, well, yeah, keep listening. I, um, what are your guys' guilty pleasures? We'd love to know. Yeah, tell us some of your guilty pleasures. So we can make show fun us of you for it. <laughs> show us that you're listening. Tell us some of your guilty pleasures. And I'm going to throw it out there now. If any of you... Even it could just be off your cell phone. Records what your guilty pleasures are. We will play them. Oh yeah, yep. If not on this episode, the next well, it won't be this episode because you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> the next episode, we will play your guilty pleasures. Austin Powers will go back in time to insert your recorded audio into this episode. Damn straight. But um, I think that's everything, Nick. Cool. Have a good one. You too, brother. Later.